Welcome to the Layer of Secrets podcast, the podcast about gaming and being a geek by two 40-something geek dads. I am David Moore, and I've been tinkering in the dirigible hangar, trying to get the old girl flying again. And I'm Ken Newquist, and I recently got beamed halfway across the galaxy and back. I'm fine, mostly. We're getting back into the, and despite all of the interstellar travel and your dirigible work, uh, we are actually getting something back into, into back into something of a routine, even if I can't actually speak. Uh, the routine is there, <laughs> even if the words aren't. Yep. <laughs> As we recorded last week, we recorded this week. So what you been up to? Yeah. So, so two almost makes a, a, a I mean, two points is enough to make a line. Very true. We're, we're getting there. Uh, let me tell you about uh, what I've been doing in Library 67. Uh, I've been reading Attack Surface by Cory Doctorow. I've followed him for years, um, and I enjoy his work. This one, though, I'm having some I'm I'm having some trouble with. Uh, the idea behind it is uh, it is the third in the Little Brother series, I believe, um, and this is the character Masha, who's kind of an antagonist in the first book of Little Brother. And this is kind of her redemption arc. She knows her stuff. She knows uh, security. She's kind of works for the bad guys. And by bad guys, I mean like government contractors who go to various governments um, and have fairly loose morals in terms of who's watching who. Um, And so uh, she kind of compartmentalizes everything of like, I'm, I'm doing the right thing, but I know I'm doing the wrong thing so like she does her day job but then goes out uh you know does her day job and installs all these security exploits and stuff so the government can watch its citizens and then goes to the resistance fighters and tells them all about how to increase their operational security to defend against the things that she just installed earlier that day it's an interesting interesting concept interesting character but it was something that my daughter said that kind of stuck with me when she started reading Little Brother is that the descriptions of like the hacking or the descriptions of how to defend yourself from that hacking kind of threw her out of the book. I've noticed that when I'm reading this, I listened to Little Brother, um, but when I when I'm reading this book, it is I notice those areas a lot. Uh, Cause there's a lot of them and they last for a little while. It's a little bit of an expedition exposition dump. Um, so I'm about halfway through and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to finish it. Ooh. Yeah. I may just skip a chapter or two and maybe that will get me past the part that I'm stuck on. But like I said, I really like his work, but this one just, just not feeling this one. Gotcha. However, uh, I did pick up and, and just to show you like, I noticed, hey, I haven't heard from Lois McMaster Bluejilda in a while. I really like her Miles Vorkosigan stuff. Did she come out with a new <laughs> Miles Vorkosigan novel? Which she, she probably didn't because, you know, he, she's got a whole bunch of them, uh, almost as many as like the Dresden Files is right now. Um, and he got older. He's like a full on adult and everything like that. Turns out he did about she did about two years ago. Um, but before I found that out, I found out she came out recently with the book called Penrix Demon, which is a fantasy series that she's now doing, which is uh, I've really enjoyed it. I like her writing style. The world building's pretty cool. Uh, the concept behind this is all the sorcerers in the world. It's a very medieval style style book setting with churches who control different areas of life. And there are, uh, I think, four or five gods. um, And the bastard god, as they say, uh, is where all the demons come from. And demons aren't necessarily evil, but they can be, but they inhabit people's bodies. They can possess them if the person isn't strong enough to contain it, uh, at least so far as I've read. But if you have a demon inside your body you can actually control some of its power. And so that's where all the sorcerers in this land come from. But it's kind of a low magic sort of setting. There's magic, but it's not fireballs whizzing around and stuff like that. At least not yet. But the main character, he's on the road. He's going to his betrothal, comes upon a caravan, and there's an older woman there who's fallen off of her horse, is not doing really good. He, he 
without thinking, he's like, I'm, I need to go help. And so he rushes up and he talks to her a little bit and she basically dies in his arms and un, unbeknownst to him, she was one of these sorcerers and her demon transfers to him. Um, and she was pretty high placed in the church. And so at this point now it's like, uh, he, he then collapses unconscious and wakes up a day later at this point in the, in the novel that I, where I'm reading, he's basically on his way to where she was going to, which is a larger area of the church so that they can figure out what to do with him or train him or something. He's still pretty confused about stuff because he's, he's, he's a minor noble, but minor, so minor in the sense that their village town, if people need help going out and herding their cows, he will have done that sort of thing. So he's not, <laughs> okay. he's not the, the, the noble who drinks wine and things like that. It's, it's pretty cool. I, I really like her writing style. I've just been sucked into this one. That's from library 67. Uh, the other place that I've been exploring, unfortunately is, is, uh, our dark house, uh, which is for our listeners out there. It's like a greenhouse, but it has no windows and it's underground. Uh, no, we don't grow mushrooms there, but it has been uh, the cause for my not doing a whole lot <laughs> this last week. The spores and my allergies this last week have pretty much made me pretty much useless. Did a little bit of a game or actually two games uh, on Saturday with some friends. We did Star Wars West End game system. That was pretty fun. And the rest of the week I'm between contracts, so I don't have to be on all the time. So I did a lot of watching of Netflix and Amazon prime, like finishing out the rest of agents of shield that I hadn't watched getting caught up with Winona Earp and others that I don't really recall because they just don't stand out in my mind, but were fun to just kind of watch for a while. But what is up with you? I mean, traveling halfway across the galaxy and back sounds more fun than my last week. Yeah, probably. It sounds like it. I I mean, I had my (laughs) own misadventures uh, wandering in the wilds of New Jersey as well. It's just, I've really been everywhere. Uh, but I won't get into that cause it's not nearly as much fun as, uh, skip, skipping across the galaxy. So my, uh, my son, my, uh, in the gaming room, so I'm, I'm going to mix and mash my locations, but, uh, my gaming group played uh, session zero of our new savage world science fiction game, which we talked about, um, I think on the previous show, um, which is set on a ring world. And so to catch people up on the premise, the idea is that, uh, we are various representatives from around a ring world that was struck by a giant asteroid. That asteroid punched through the edge of the rim, causing this massive mountain known as the Fist of God. And our characters are trying to figure out what is happening to the ring world because this is about 150 years after the event. And we've determined that the, the ring world is no longer entirely stable. And it's a lot of world buildy type stuff. That's the whole intention behind this game is to figure out, OK, well, you know, what's what are what's interesting in the ring world? Where do our characters come from? Uh, most of the players are actually playing inhabitants of the ring world, usually with like different manifestations of technology. So there's a wizard, but he has all of these kind of jargony explanations for his spells. So they consider them to be wizards of science. And so, you know, the great Lord Newton bestowed upon us the theory <laughs> of gravitation. Right. And so it's it's great. Like, he just he's doing a fantastic job with it. Uh, we have another guy who's kind of like the face man who. Uh, he's just, he's an inspirational speaker. He's basically playing like a bard. <laughs> and so he's okay. taking, uh, the miracles background in Savage World, which is kind of uh, Buffy, like a bard, not Buffy, like the vampire slayer. Buffy is like, you know, you're buffing other characters by giving them bonuses and what have you. Got it. Uh, amusingly his dice completely betrayed him the entire session oh, and he no. failed at every role that he tried, but it was funny. And that's kind of like building into his character. Yep. My character is actually uh, crashed on the ring world. He's Guy Rockwell. He's a, the sole surviving red shirt of the starship Saratoga. So he comes from like a, a Federation, <laughs> U.S. Federation, you know, the, the United Federation of Planets type background. I haven't quite built that out yet. But the idea is like he is the red shirt, but he's the red shirt who lived. So I gave him like the luck background and like the MacGyver edge and like all of these things to explain how he was the only one to survive the starship crash. Right. Nice. Um, and so he's got Technobabble. And, you know, he is adventuring with all of these people he considers basically to be savages. But, hey, maybe this is my chance to get off the ring world. And, oh, yeah, right. I can totally fix that for you. So right. it's cool. We haven't we haven't played Savage Worlds in, I don't know, like a year or two. 
So it was pretty cool to kind of ease back into the system. Like there's a, a few things we're playing the new suede edition, which the, which is Savage Worlds Adventure Edition, which I think we talked about briefly last week. And so there's like any going to any new edition of a game. There's some upgrades. There's some things that don't quite work the way that they did before. But we all agreed to play this edition so we could all be agree in agreement about what the actual rules are. Nice. We learned our lessons from like Dungeons and Dragons second edition, which had like, I don't know, three different versions of the same rule. Right. Right. But it was comfortable. Like, it's actually just like slipping into an old pair of slippers. You know, it's just, ooh, this is kind of comfy, right? I like how dice explode. Oh, that's hilarious. Look what happened to you, right? So that's pretty cool. As research, uh, I uh, actually stepped into the teleportation cube and watched, I just completely binged watched Star Trek The Lower Decks. Nice. Because um, I renewed my subscription to CBS Interactive. I think that's what it is. It was- Whatever CBS's streaming thing is. Yeah, it was recommended to me this week, actually. Um, but I do not have like CBS All Access or or any is. of that stuff. Um, I tried to buy the season on Amazon, but it is not available as a standalone purchase. Oh yeah, so that's actually uh, I tried to actually use the CBS Interactive app on the PlayStation Four. That's how I originally subscribed to it, and that's what I had done previously. Got it. CBS Interactive's or CBS All Access app is terrible on the PS Four. It Ooh. just crashed, like it, it black screened every time you tried to load. So I immediately canceled my subscription and then went through Amazon instead. <laughs> Got it. Because it's only like ten bucks a month or something like that, and I'm only going to watch it for like a month or two until I get all caught up on uh, all my Star Trek fix. Nice. But, so I watched the lower decks. And, and any of you with PS4s, I, I don't know if it's any better on the PS5. Subscribing to CBS through Amazon, I think, is totally the way to go. It was way easier than dealing with the CBS app, which also was terrible because, like, all of the controls, mm-hmm. this isn't really meant to be a rant about CBS All Access, <laughs> but, like, none of the controls are the same for anything else that you do on uh, the PlayStation, right? Like, Amazon, Hulu, they more or less have similar buttons. CBS is like, no, we're going to make the pause button the circle. Like, Oh, what? Like, why are we doing this? Right? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. I mean, I counterintuitive. I years ago, um, we I was brought in as part of our part of our contract was to work on um, Showtime anytime. Uh, years and years ago, back when Dexter was still running, just to give you guys an okay. idea of when that was. And you know, it had it had been written by a bunch of contractors before us, uh, but it was kind of not they brought us in because there were things going wrong. Um, and so we, uh, we came in for four weeks and, and not only finished out there, we really would like you to finish this within the four weeks, but we finished their entire list for the next six months, uh, in four (laughs) weeks, uh, just two of us. And, uh, yeah, it, it was like performance issues and, and interface issues, similar to what you're talking about. And, uh, I was that that's one of the projects I'm a lot more proud of, <laughs> you know, uh, all that code's gone because uh, Flash is going away. But uh, right. But that's what it was written in was was Adobe Flex and Flash. So, oh, wow, uh, it was it was yeah. a lot of fun. Very cool. So uh, Star Trek, going back to Star Trek, the lower decks, um, it's about how basically all the non officers, non bridge crew live and work and love on a starship right and but not Got one it. of like the big starships like the enterprise or the excelsior <laughs> or something like that no no no. they're on the it's the cerritos so it is basically like a starfleet support vessel right like they're there they don't do first contact missions they do second contact missions right so they show up <laughs> after the enterprise and they do like the follow-up right oh, geez um <laughs> they're basically like the janitors of starfleet and so uh, you have, but you have all of the classic Star Trek tropes just like kind of comically subverted, right? So it's a little bit reminiscent of um, John Scalzi's uh, Red Shirts. Red Shirts. Um, yeah, I was going to say that. Not quite so meta at the end. Like it goes very meta at the end. Yes. Um, this stays totally in universe and it's fun. It's got like, you know, you've got your obligatory alien misunderstandings. You've got your, uh, you know, the lower deck crew padding their time estimates and the bridge crew figuring out <laughs> that they were doing that. Right. Like, but not, yeah, in a, like not this, in a good Scotty way. No, more no, of like, no, this is more of like, eh, it's going to take us four weeks to get this done. And then they're just goofing off for three and a half or something. Well, it's, it's a little bit of both, right? Like, so yeah, well, of course we pad our estimates, but it's actually, I, th- I think it comes across cause they're still Starfleet. They're, they're not really like, I think that's the thing that like, it's still, 
it's not slamming Star Trek. It's playing okay. with the, the kind of goofiness of Star Trek. So it's actually more along the lines of like the lower deck crew is like, well, the bridge crew is always just going to expect us to do things impossibly fast. So let's just tell them like longer than it would actually take so you can get it done in a reasonable time and not be totally stressed out. Right. And right. so in this one particular episode, there's the go getter who wants to be part of the bridge crew. Right. Like he's just oh. the lowly ensign who wants to go out. I mean, he like spoils it for everybody. Right. Because he's like, no, we could be doing so much more. I'm like, but we you don't want to. We <laughs> <laughs> were going to make our lives miserable, right? And of course, right. it was goofing off, off. But like, it's it's really fun. Sounds uh, sounds a little like real life in some ways. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's. I mean, there's still like all of the craziness. Like, there's this one like ship filled with terraforming fluid that causes terrible things to happen to the starship and people start transforming there's an energy being okay. that shows up at one point and like they immediately just dis- like disable it right like so it's got all the star trek goofiness but i think i very much appreciated especially since work has been kind of stressful lately just because of all of the craziness that's going on in the world so seeing other people's craziness is very is very amusing that reminds me uh before you move on to your next one uh Disney Plus has a a new show out uh for the the other Starborn adventures uh Star Wars the Star Wars Lego Holiday Special is now Ooh, out. See, I heard about that, but I have so not watched it yet. We might have to talk about that next week or so. So, we'll see. I thought it would be fun to watch with my kids because uh they grew up playing Lego Star Wars. Yes. So, I think it would be I think they would very much appreciate that. I think it's probably going to be better than the original uh Star Wars Holiday Special as well. It's kind of a low bar. It is very low bar. If you, <laughs> I don't even know that there's actually a bar. <laughs> you, yeah. If you've ever gone back to try and watch it, like on YouTube or whatever, it's bad. It's really it is bad. It's really bad. It's it not one all, of those, oh, so bad, it's good. It's No, it's really no, just bad. It's really just bad. So uh, you, have, uh, you, wa- you were watching something else as well. Yeah, so I also watched Discovery. Mm-hmm. So I've been watching season one and season two of Discovery, and I enjoy it. I mean, it's... It's not your uh, original Star Trek. Um, it's definitely doing its own thing. There's some challenges that with Klingons. I might, you know, get like my Star Trek nerd on and go, eh, you know, I don't know that I'm, I'm, I'm buying that all the Klingons look different that somehow came together. At the, but you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Are I they- have enjoyed Star Trek. I love the inherent optimism of, of uh, Discovery. Cool. Are they, are they trying to explain? So like in Star Trek Next Generation... And beyond that, all the all of the Klingons look one way, but in the old series, they look completely different. And in Trouble with Tribbles from DS9, like Worf basically says it was a dark time. Don't ask me about it. Um, You know, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Are they trying to explain that dark time that you're not supposed to ask about? No, actually, so Star Trek Enterprise, I think, actually handled that. They figured oh, okay. they they, did they explained how the ridged Klingons came to be. Now in Discovery, they just kind of went off on their own little tangent about like there were different like maybe subspecies of Klingon, or maybe Klingon was a. I, I'm not exactly. I'm still a little fuzzy on exactly what it was they were trying for. Like different political aspects. Yeah, like. I don't know. They, they almost seem like different species because they didn't hmm. have either the flat browed or the rippled brow uh, Klingon. So, okay. I mean, it kind of at the time, it kind of felt like they were messing with Klingons just to be able to mess with Klingons, you know, say like, oh, we're, you know, going off in exciting new directions. But it really settled down after its first season. Um, and it had com- uh, Captain Pike as uh, the commander of the Enterprise for the or captain of the Enterprise for the second season, which was really good. Cool. Um and now in this current season, they have thrown them like 900 years into the future of the Federation, oh. the future of the galaxy, for reasons, which you should watch season two if you really want to know. Um, and I think it's it's starting to be more episode of the week, right? Okay. So a little less serialized, a little more like we're going to deal with a particular issue, um, but still retaining enough memory of the previous episode so that it's, there still feels like there's continuity there. But I'm really enjoying i mean i just i love the optimism of star trek that's why i've always watched star trek and so discovery is really just hitting that for me right now which uh you know it's it's good when the world is a very stressful place it's nice to be able to turn back to star trek and go yeah cool we can solve all the problems in 60 minutes yep yep that is (laughs) i wish my life worked like that more often (laughs) yeah yeah and and nowadays having that optimism is 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 a nice thing right Especially since it's like the galaxy is not in a great place. So there was this, uh, this is not a spoiler. They figured this out like in the first episode 
But uh, the Federation is down to like, I don't know, six planets. <laughs> because there was an event called the Burn, which caused all of the dilithium to to explode and like cripple Starfleet, destroy all these starships. And so, you know, the Discovery shows up in a darker time, but they are very much like the beacon of light and hope in a dark time as Got opposed it. to everybody kind of succumbing to that darkness. So that's uh, cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a cool it. idea. And so my my last development this week is uh, signing up for a thing. I don't know that it, we would ever really expected to do this, but my wife and I are really busy. The kids are really busy. And we decided to sign up for one of these meal kit subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So this is mm-hmm. kind of like your Blue Apron, HelloFresh. And the idea is, is they ship you everything you need to make dinner, and then you actually cook, and yep. then you have made dinner, right? And so the advantage is you don't actually have to go shopping um, and pull everything together. You don't even really have to decide i mean you probably pick the what you want delivered right. to you but like that day you don't it's like we have a choice of this this or this do you which one do you want you know right um, we right. did that as well uh and so that's that was one of the benefits that we found was one we got a lot more confident in our cooking but two we didn't have to really choose like okay what are we having tonight do we have the stuff for it um, all of those other decisions right. that need to be made took a lot of stress out. Yes, yes, exactly. And in, in the early days of COVID, when we were, were in like true lockdown here in Pennsylvania, you know, I was I had a little bit more time because the kids weren't as busy and we weren't as busy. So I had some time to like, okay, I'm finding recipes, I'm going out and actually buying stuff. And I enjoyed cooking. I, I enjoy cooking in general, but and I still will subscribe to, you know, the recipe of the week sort of thing. But, you know, it, it takes time to say, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to buy stuff. I'm going to actually do it. So, yep. um, and I'm not as confident in my cooking as my wife is. My wife is great at just like, oh, well, I have these things in the kitchen. So I'm just going to throw something together and improvise. I'm like, but I don't, it's just going to turn into like a pit of goo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we have a different room for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Like, I don't need to come up with, oh, wow, this is an interesting smell you've discovered, Ken. Right. Like, I don't want to do that. And so I think the thought, like you just said, right, like it's a way of building up my repertoire of things I'm confident, comfortable with cooking. Somebody else pulls all the ingredients together. I don't know how long we'll maintain it for, but um, I like the idea of being able to say, okay, I'm going to cook two, ty- two nights a week and it's already ready for us. So, yeah. We shall see how it goes. Cool. Good luck. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, dive into our main topic here. We have our Thursday game coming up, and you and I were going to brainstorm some Fate Condensed, uh, since you two and you and I are going to kind of swap off every so often for GMing duties, and perhaps others in our group will, but not that's not guaranteed right now. I was hoping to come up with some ideas for the setting, the world, some plot hooks maybe that we could both, you know, use occasionally. Uh, And for those of you out there, this idea came from a tweet that linked to an article. You find your ideas in weird places. John Roger, uh, who I follow on Twitter, had had posted. He's a former showrunner for uh, Leverage and I believe The Librarians, uh, among others. And he had found an, an article that the Army Corps of Engineers actually owns a large amount of fossils, probably more than any one institution around the world, because they put in things like dams and culverts and levees and things like that. And in the course of doing that, we'll usually come upon these come upon these paleontological finds. And so the idea that he put forth was, hey, what a uh, what a great way to hide evidence of cryptids in the fossil record, because, you know, you can only dig up so much and uh, you can only look at at so much of it at a time. And so uh, having the Army Corps of Engineers have control of a large portion of the fossil record uh, that is currently known is a good way to hide evidence of things like the Mothman or Chupacabra or Bigfoot. And so my idea for this was to uh, my idea for this was to to have the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. Right now, I'm tentatively calling it the Special Operations Division, and they are responsible for keeping these anomalies 
hidden in the these cryptid anomalies hidden in the fossil record, but also these cryptids actually do exist. They're still alive. And so they're hidden from the fossil record like, hey, this thing, this chupacabra looking thing, you know, it's in the fossil record. You know, we can see the evolution of it, but it's also still surviving. And so the special operations division needs to go and hunt down these cryptids and keep them kind of like men in black style of like keeping them under wraps from the population at large. That's what I sold our group on. (laughs) (laughs) And we bought it. (laughs) Yep. And we're using fate condensed because it's a pretty generic system. Although I could totally be sold on savage worlds because I think that would probably also fit as well. The idea of uh, having different aspects that each character has, but also the cryptids might have or whatever that allow you to, you know, manipulate the game system and the game world, you know, that's baked into fate. And so I thought it would be uh, plus it's also meant for over the top, just action oriented gaming and narrative creative gaming as well. Right. And from from my limited uh, limited experience with fate and spirit of the century although i've read a lot i just haven't gotten to play a lot mm-hmm. i think the thing i like about it is uh as a dm it gives you certain tools right so you can compel aspects so as a way we play this game later at night and so i think uh as a way of keeping players engaged and keeping us all awake you know being able to compel an aspect like so if i know that you're a risk taker but you seem to be kind of sitting back during the session i can go but wouldn't you really like to uh you know jump off that cliff right and you know you yep. you push the fate chip across i don't know how we're going to push the fate chip across because it's it's a very it's a fun dynamic at the table right where you're it's like, very tactile really like to do this it's a very tactile because i yeah. hand you the chip and it's like oh well, now i have the chip i mean you have that pool of resources in front of you which actually i think as a as a brief aside that is one of the challenges with virtual gaming is that you don't have a lot of these things right like yep. my in our savage worlds game i was actually trying to call out to the other players hey you can benny this Right. Yep. You can you can spend a token to re-roll that. Do you want to do it? Right. Because in Savage Worlds, you're using that mechanic to reward people for good role playing. And it's really if you if you're not using it, you're not really playing Savage Worlds the way it was meant to play because it's all about taking risks. Right. Right. Because right. you spend the Benny to get a Benny. Right. Um, and I think fate, you know, has some of that too, right? Because you're compelling yes. aspects, you're tagging aspects, and it's making you interact with your environment in a way above and beyond that D&D doesn't really do, right? D&D can. Yeah, they evolved about the same time. I'm not sure which came first. Um, I actually think Savage Worlds might have come a little before Fate in terms of like the Benny. They might have taken kind of the the core concept of the Benny and turned it into the Fate points. Um, right. I, I, it's been a while. I can't remember. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, the the idea with fate is there really should be kind of an ebb and flow of those fate points in an economy. And in the newer fate versions, you know, like Spirit of the Century, you and I played uh, was super gonzo over the top. You know, like you you had like <laughs> yes. 10 fate points to start with. And they've they've toned a lot of that down. Now, it's one of the dials you can change if you want heroic over the top stuff. You can allow people to have more. Uh, they call it refresh, which is basically at the beginning of every session. If you don't have your refresh in fate points, you get to fill up your fate point pool with that many. If you have extra, you get to roll them over. So if you know if you have a refresh of three, uh, which is like the more common refresh now, you get to start with three fates. Uh, but if you had six left over from last time, you still have six. Right. So it's not a user or lose it. But also, if you're not using it it's not quite as fun as well. Right. Um, right. But, uh, and the other concept behind it is the more powerful your character is, you get things called stunts, which are kind of like automatic things that, that you can just do. And, you know, you can automatically have a bonus towards shooting guns for, for instance, the more of those cool things, uh, that you have more heroic or super heroic or supernatural things that you have, the lower your refresh is, which means that the GM who can compel aspects, uh, compel you uh, by offering a fate point, you can you can totally refuse it if you have a fate point to refuse it with. You spend right. that fate point <laughs> to prevent the compel. So if you have a lower refresh, the GM can just keep compelling you 
uh, and you can keep resisting, but eventually you're going to be out and you're going to have to take that complication. Um, but that complication is also meant, well, it co- obviously complicates the game, but it's also meant to add action and drama and make the game more fun. It's not a tool for the GM to put the characters down. You know, that's right. Uh, right. Fate is firmly of the opinion that everyone at the table should be having fun and that it's not about players beating the GM or GMs beating the players. Cause that's just a, a false thing in the, in the first place. The GM can right. always beat the players cause they're the GM. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just not fun. Rocks fall. Everybody dies. Yes. Uh, that's not, Video campaign has ended that way, but uh, I don't, I, w- I don't, I would not like to do that. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts having, having heard, uh, heard the pitch for it and knowing that you're going to GM step in and GM at some point, like what are some of your ideas that you would like to see in the game? I guess I have some questions. Okay. So I think, I think part of it is, and the part of this comes from just having gone through this in our Savage Worlds game is magic a thing. Right. Because it kind of goes to foundational in the setting. Where are the cryptids coming from? And of course, we can explore that. Like, that could be part of the game, figuring out how this is happening. Yep. But if somebody wants to show up as a hexlinger or some other, like, you know, arc- is there an arcane component? Like, so Warehouse uh, 13. That was actually yes, one of the things I that I was thinking about. But that's actually. Uh, that's um, Steve, Steve Jackson, Jackson games. games. Yep. <laughs> yep. Warehouse 13 has a magical component to it. It also has techn- technological component to it, but there are things like curses. There are things like what have you, you know, because if you say no, then, then science kind of steps up to the forefront. And then it's a question of just how wacky or the other question would be like how realistic, right? right. Are we going with like X-Files was usually like with its cryptids kind of trying to skew more closely to these are things that like the, the tapeworm creature from one of those classic episodes, right? Like where it goes dormant and then it emerges to eat people and then it goes dormant again. Like that was, I can't say it was actually based on science, but it was right. sciencey. But it was, yeah, it was, it was kind of like Star Trekky science where there was techno babble, but it wasn't like, it wasn't mystic stuff. You right. know, there wasn't a Which supernatural aspect. Had plenty of that too, but. <laughs> right, right. I mean, for my, I think some of it that could come down to is for my inspiration. I've been watching. I watched the the latest and la, I, I believe last installment of Tremors, um, mm. the Tremors movies, and uh, I've been watching uh, the more recent incarnation of Scooby Doo. Oh, okay. <laughs> and <laughs> I have not seen it. I have not seen it. it it's pretty good. It's it 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 harkens back to. Um, the old, the old, you know, seventies Hanna-Barbera Scooby-Doo, uh, but also like wink and a nod, like toward the seventies version of Scooby-Doo, you know, of like whenever Fred is coming up with a way to catch, uh, the bad guy, it's always like, okay, we got to get some feathers and some dynamite and we got to dig a hole (laughs) and there, and, and like two of the episodes that I saw, they're like, no, Fred, no, we can't do that. That's going to take too long or whatever. And then he's super bummed. Um, and then another one was like, <laughs> okay, I've got, I've got our trap. And then basically it's just an unrolled piece of chicken wire that's been stood up. And he's like, and, and they're like, that's it. That's your trap. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's my trap. It's dark out. They're not going to see it. And then random bystander walks into it and gets trapped in it, which means that the, you know, the big bad can't, can't get trapped. In right. It. So, so it's it's those little in jokes that if you've seen the previous series are more funny, but even if you haven't seen the previous series, they're still just as funny. But yeah, I've been kind of you know reading through the it's an Atlas Obscura article about the Arbacore of Engineers where uh, in Iowa a a flood at one of their dams um, happened and it it actually you know, cut like five feet of cliff face off and opened up a whole, a whole site of these paleontological finds. And so, you know, kind of, kind of the idea of trying to think of how to build this sort of thing, uh, to answer your question of, is there magic? I think that's kind of, we can leave that up to the group. If they, I mean, if they want to play a magic type character, I would say, I'm fine with that, Um, you know, like, but 
that magic is not a normal part of this world. Like, like if magic was a normal part of the world, why are we hiding cryptids sort of thing? Right. Um, you know, it's kind of, kind of the idea of similar to like Dresden files where the normal mundane world is our world that we know and love right now, uh, or mostly love uh, 2020. We could probably jettison. Um, but <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, you know, this is the world we live in and you know, there's, there's not, not visible magic. Um, they're not really cryptids. I mean, there are people out there that are going to say, yes, there are there. And yes, there is magic, but for the most part, that's not what we, not what we see, you know, kind of like Hellboy, you know, uh, is another one, uh, that, that we can draw from as well. It's like, you know, the world out there doesn't think Hellboy exists, doesn't think all this supernatural stuff exists, but it does. And so that's kind of the idea is, you know, the special operations division of army Corps of engineers trying to maintain the status quo of that. The supernatural cryptids don't exist and maybe magic actually does, you know, if cryptids exist, that maybe magic does too. Um, right. You actually kind of gave me an idea of like, maybe some of this fossil record can actually come back all the way to the, to the prehistory days where humans were still around, you know, and Conan walked the earth. Right. I was going to say before the, uh, before the oceans drowned Atlantis, right? Right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, we could, we could totally have some of that in there too. The idea that this is prehistory, you know, magic existed in Conan's time. And if so, if we, if we say that like Hyboria and uh, Samaria and such existed and Atlantis existed, then we could totally have characters or things from that era come forward. Um, but like the Army Corps of Engineers is specifically focused toward, you know, right. what's in that paleontological record and keeping it right. safe. So, so to, so to answer your question, I mean, I have, I have a couple of different ideas. Like, I think it's fun. Like once you start brainstorming, like there's all these cool things that I was just starting to think about, right? Like, so there are projects that the army Corps of engineer has had to abandon over time. So one of the big ones in my neck of the woods is the, uh, the Tooks dam, the Tooks Island dam project, which gave rise to, so basically the, the backstory for this was they were going to dam the Delaware river up in Northern New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And so where Tooks island is is this island in the middle of the delaware and they were going to build this huge dam and drown like all of the stuff to the north mm -hmm. part of it was because of flood mitigation so in 1955 there was a massive flood that actually just destroyed some of the bridges in Easton, where i live because the water was just so high like we're talking this is like a thousand year flood right like this was tremendous you know i think it was like 15 feet deep in downtown Easton, right in terms of water like significant amounts of water um, but they also needed to feed the reservoirs and the aquifers um, in New York City. So the idea was that you were going to build this dam. It would help with flood control downriver. And then you'd also be able to provide water for New York City. Right. Uh, that project didn't happen uh, because there were a lot of objections. But they bought all the land. Right. They oh, went in. They okay. bought all the land. And then they, they created the Delaware, Nash, the Delaware Water Gap uh, National Recreation Area. Right. Why? But what's the real story behind it? Sure, there was all this political controversy and like conservation efforts and, oh, you're going to cause all this environmental damage if you build this dam. But maybe there's another reason. And maybe yes. the Army Corps of Engineers has a, you know, propaganda division, secret propaganda division that like incites people to start objecting to it because, well, actually, if we build this dread dam, really bad things are going to happen. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. So now the Park Service is in on it, right? Because they're managing this area that the the Army Corps of Engineers built. We also have the Jersey Devil. Yeah, <laughs> it could be either like the Jersey Devil or or Bigfoot. Maybe they wanted to protect its habitat, or maybe there's a treaty um, or yeah. something, you know. And so they bought it up. They they made it look like they were going to do the dam, and just like you said, they have the propaganda department that made them shut it down. But it was after they bought all that land. And so that right. now protected sort of thing. Yeah, totally right. a possibility. And it plays with people's expectations because uh, people have this vision of New Jersey as just like basically the, the, the armpit of <laughs> the country, right? Where it's nothing but highways, but it's not, right? Like It gets a lot of flack. 
we have a lot of trees and and a lot of like forested areas, right? There's actually a lot of places you could easily get lost just wandering around in the woods. Yep. And there's a lot of cool legends from colonial times. Like we do have like, you know, people have spotted Bigfoot in New Jersey, right? So yeah, like there's a treaty and it's like, this is how we're going to maintain it. And yeah, occasionally like people do a lot of backpacking in, uh, in Delaware Water Gap. I certainly do. But, you know, occasionally people see things that maybe they shouldn't. And we're just going to divert them away from those areas because reasons. Right, <laughs> right. And there have to be so many stories about projects that the Army Corps started, ran into problems with. Like, I think it's it's great fodder and and other things like Pennsylvania has the like the I'm sure there's other places as well. But like the roads to nowhere. Right. You started building an interstate and then you stopped. Right. Why? Right. Hell, we have an entire town that was abandoned because it's on fire. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, uh, Citrona, I think it is Citrona, Pennsylvania. They they actually uh, it was it's a coal town. Uh huh. So oh right, right. We, the coal the coal mine is coal still fire. on fire, smoldering. Yes. Yeah. That's what they told us. Right. Right. I mean, maybe it's you know there was a a a a salamander nest that that outgrew that grew, or maybe they were relocated there. Who knows? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Like, adding salamanders sure they- to the list. So. <laughs> they started a trash fire that was uncontrolled. People can't see my air quotes, but yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, they can hear. What, what's the price of a small Pennsylvania town when you have to preserve these cryptids that only live in fire? Right, <laughs> right. How many places in the world are there? <laughs> yep. Yeah, and there was uh, like I don't know if it was an Army Corps of Engineers dam, but like there was a dam in Michigan, I believe it was uh, that that collapsed recently um like within the last year or so um and then i don't know what happened since then uh but supposedly there were two other dams further downstream that might have also collapsed um and so like what caused that collapse you know um you know i was thinking something along the lines of like the old friday the 13th the series um or something like that or um there's another short-lived show called Brimstone where a man an ex a cop who committed murder and went to hell but there was a jailbreak from hell and so the devil needs him to bring those people back and basically has tattoos all over him and he needs to send all those all those demons back uh and each time he does one of those tattoos disappears from his skin but the idea is you know uh, going into that is like what if one of these collapses, what if that was a containment area for cryptids and they got out, you know, right. um, and now you have to go chase them down, you know? And so maybe that was the cause of one of these collapses or something. The, that's, that's another one of my ideas. The idea of researching like um, army Corps of engineer projects and ones that went well, or ones that didn't go well, um, or, or got canceled. Um, sounds pretty darn cool as a, as a, a, a mine of information for, for future games. <laughs> I also love when you, when you read about the army Corps of engineer and I like, I think like most game masters, like there's just these things that I squirrel away and like, Oh, this will be something useful for the future. Right? Like there was a time in like the fifties where we were actively considering using the applied, like big applied nuclear devices for engineering projects. Like, right, like actually using nuclear explosives to blow things up. It'll clear the land really fast. Nuking hurricanes. That was a thing that people talked yes. about, right? Yes. Like, I mean, everybody agrees that it wasn't a great idea. Right. Well, most everybody agrees that it wasn't a great idea, but it was a thing, right? And right. so um, the Army Corps of Engineers presumably has a whole like weapons <clears throat> division. <laughs> That's true. They could. They could. I mean, I know that in NASA, uh, one of the experimental uh spacecraft and larry niven actually references it in footfall was a atomic bomb powered spacecraft you would uh you know it it sat there and then it basically had a whole bunch of atomic bombs on it and it would drop one behind it and and detonate the bomb and that would generate the thrust to go up and out and uh yeah it wasn't good it was not a not a great idea i mean yeah it would probably work if you could build the structure uh sturdily enough that the blast wouldn't just destroy <laughs> the spacecraft but uh 
but yeah, um, kind of like suitcase size nukes um, were, yeah. I think, what was what what was being used there. Yeah, there's there's a whole lot of stuff from the 50s and 60s that could probably also be mined in terms of like weird weird science. Oh, definitely, De- definitely. I mean, I read uh, I think it was last summer. I read Heinlein's um, "The Past Through Tomorrow." Okay, it was a collection of his uh, few, like future history uh stories and it was all like it's all about so he wrote it before man landed on the moon right and so he basically was creating his own space race and of course because he was writing this in like the the 50s right it's all about nukes yeah (laughs) everything's going to be nuclear powered of course we're going to fly using nukes now he did foretell that you know that there would be negative consequences and because i think the repository of nuclear material blew up but it's Mm -hmm. also very like 1950s science fiction interpretation of atomic energy right right but I love the idea, like, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers, well, they never actually quite stopped working on those things. <laughs> Maybe they've come up with, like, so, you know, come up with a significant enough threat. And yeah, well, you know, we might need one of those, you know, suitcase nukes. And who knows how the, the, the our campaign world will start to diverge at that point, right? But um, right. so I like that idea. I also like, you know, the opportunity to go abroad because you always have that episode. Yes. Like, like leaving the comfort of your own home. Well, I mean, the Army Corps of Engineers is not just, you know, I mean, it's, it's part of the army, so right. they can go anywhere that the army is in the world. Right. Since we sent, we seem to do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not actually going to be a campaign worse. about building dams. Right. But... <laughs> right. Um, one of my other thoughts of uh, sources to mine is an archive. Um, I think there's an archive in Google Books of the weekly world news. Um, oh. which is like <laughs> bat boy bat boy is the one that everybody remembers you know uh so yeah it's i think i think weekly world news is one of the hot sheets that k picks up in men in black so um yeah so it's that's that's one of the ones that that i think would be a fun one to mine as well I'm trying to think of the actual questions to like develop thing um like the the army corps of engineer was founded in or became a permanent branch of the U.S. Army in 1802. So they've been oh, around wow. for a while. Yeah, well, in the Revolutionary War, according to the article, um, George Washington wanted fortifications built at Bunker Hill, but the uh, they didn't have any engineers. And so they, they hired several former French officers with appropriate engineering experience. And then because of that need... Later on in 1802, they formed the actual Army Corps of Engineers. So they would always have have that have that there. So like building of fortifications and bridges and such. Um, and then later on is when they started doing things like dams, such. So gotcha. Uh, so they have a long and storied history, and they manage eight million acres of land in the United States. Oh wow. So yeah, see that's that's perfect, yeah. right? So <laughs> how many yeah. cryptids and urban legends are there running amok? <laughs> right, right. And I mean that's that's one of the other things is like, uh, do we want to stick to cryptids? Like eight million acres of land can have a lot of strange stuff on it. Maybe uh, maybe uh, you know some of the stuff starts with fossil record cryptids, but maybe it also branches off into other weirdness. That just needs to be kept under wraps, you know? Yeah, and there's a there's a hell of a lot of federal land as well, you know, just above and beyond that, right? And so and some of that's been irradiated fairly recently. <laughs> Not to play off of the no, no, everything is atomic powered, right? But that gives you mm-hmm. a lot of uh interesting things. I've been reading uh The Immortal Hulk, which is uh the Hulk uh rendered as a as a horror comic. And they've been mm. playing a lot with like that whole like atomic origins of of the Hulk. I also like the idea of the history of the Army Corps of Engineers. And if you think back to how um, on both the Confederate and Union sides during the Civil War, you know, they were bringing in engineers to tunnel underneath fortifications to blow them up. Right. right. And so, you know, there's an opportunity to detail our headquarters. Right. Mm-hmm. Headquarters could date back to like, I don't know, 1826. And they just keep expanding it. Right. <laughs> uh, not unlike the Lair of Secrets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or they keep expanding it, but they also cut off certain sections of it. You know, it's like, oh, well, we're not using that section uh, section anymore. Um, we don't want people getting hurt or whatever. Or maybe they 
don't want something found and they wall off a certain section, you know? And so, uh, there could be sections from the very early days, uh, that get rediscovered, uh, and need to be investigated or things like that. Right. Would be another, another source of adventures. I think, uh, you know, knowing who your antagonists are is also helpful, you know, so there may be other organizations or government agencies, you know, either we have turf wars with, which is always fun, right? When, when both people have, when the plot is less, oh, we're, you know, dealing with the, you know, the remains of the Nazi archaeological society. You can always mm-hmm. have Nazis because punching Nazis is fun. Yep. Like the Thule Society or whatever. Or, you know, some, uh, you know, a splinter organization within the Soviet Union that survives to this day and is doing, you know, there are counterparts that we were always going up against for whatever reasons. But also when your rivals are the federal government, the federal government is really big. Yes. Yeah. And they don't <laughs> plenty of opportunities for turf wars within the federal government and state and local, too. Right. right. Like, you know, you go into Texas. Yeah. Texas Rangers excited to see you. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's it's one of those things of, you know, maybe there uh, is there another organization in the federal government that does a very similar job as your unit, as your as the special operations group. Um, do they um, or special operations division, do they, you know, do they want more control? Do they want more budget? Do they think that the special operations division is not handling it the way they should? Um I don't know. Have you seen much Supernatural or some of the later seasons of Supernatural? No, I, I, I stopped. I got stuck. I, I was I, I, last time I watched Supernatural, I was still getting DVDs from Netflix. Oh, and I got out of wow. order. Okay, and I never restarted because I couldn't figure out where I left off. But yes, <laughs> I'm familiar with like the Mystery of the Week type stuff that they were doing yeah. at least in the early episodes. So they so later on, uh, late in later seasons, they discover um, that that their mother and father or or their their ancestors were there is a there is a group in the United States called the Men of Letters and they find like this 1950s 60s era bunker um that's like a nuclear fallout shelter but has all these books of mystic you know mystic lore and other stuff like that um and a barracks and everything like that so they basically live there that's their home now um but then they find out later and 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 they all died off because of a, a big cataclysmic event. And that's why uh, Sam and Dean have never really uh, never knew about it until they kind of piece some clues together and then found this place. But it turns out that there's a British men of letters, which is where the men of letters originally came from. And the British men of letters are like, well, the men of letters has been gone for so long and the hunters over in America just aren't doing a good job at all. And we can do it better. And so they've that organization has kind of come over to the U.S. and are dealing with Sam and Dean and has actually killed off a few hunters in, you know, they died in hunts sort of thing. You know, they're covering it up um, in order to kind of basically displace all the hunters in, in America and do what they've done in Britain, which is not always nice in the way that they do things, you know, uh, cause Sam and Dean have found out that all monsters are not really monsters, you know, they're not right, all evil. Whereas the British men of letters are like, yeah, they're all evil and we can use them as slaves in certain situations. Um, Ooh. so yeah, so that's, so there's that whole aspect of a rival organization of like, they're kind of doing the same thing we're doing, but they're also not doing it in a very in the way that we would do it you know right that sort of idea so i, I like that idea I also i was also thinking uh you know the air force has operation blue book yep and you know that could just be a cover for dealing with other sorts of threats yep and perhaps there's occasionally overlap yep and of course they think it's aliens or maybe well, not i mean mothman supposedly flies i think so maybe right, so maybe the, Operation Blue Book that fly. The that's Air Operation Force Blue declares. Book, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's where that's where things overlap. And then the random guy from Space Force shows up and like tries to declare jurisdiction for reasons. <laughs> yep. Space Force protects the Earth. We're protecting the Earth. Yep. Maybe it's there's territory. <laughs> maybe there's a. Uh, maybe aliens exist. Maybe. Yep. And maybe I, I don't know. I've I've got a note here that. 
maybe there's an alien group of settlers on some of the acreage that the Army Corps of Engineers has set up for them. Basically like just a small settlement of refugees from another planet sort of thing. And yeah, that could definitely be like Space Force could come in and say, hey, they're they're under our jurisdiction now. Um, right. And then, I don't know, bad things could happen or good things could happen. Who knows? Yeah. And so I guess we decided on, so we should have noted this earlier, but and you probably get from the tone we've been kind of bantering back and forth is, um, is, is we're not going for super serious. No. We're not going for super silly either. Somewhere in between. Yeah. On a, for, so uh, I had sent out a survey for everybody was like on a scale of one to 10, where one is like Looney Tunes and 10 is, I don't know what I put for 10, but 10 is super serious. Um, you know, like, I don't know, Dark Knight Returns or something like that. Uh, you know, Grim Dark or whatever. Uh, most people said somewhere between three and six or seven. I think about the five or six area is probably where we'll where we'll go. You know, some comedic elements, you know, some of the stuff that it was tossed out was like Ghostbusters and Men in Black, sometimes trending towards Scooby-Doo, which is on the more silly side, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that was that was tone wise. That's what we were looking for. I don't know. We, we should probably do this again. Talk for a, a little while on this. But we're going to be creating characters this Thursday. You said something earlier about like the people that you guys are going to be involved with. Um, I think maybe we can do come up with some of that this Thursday as well. Of like, who's your superior officer? Um, right. You know who's a who is a rival of you? You know, like in in the Army Corps of Engineers, or uh, or even come up with a, a rival organization even on Thursday, uh, depending upon right. how how awake people are. <laughs> so. Right. And I guess, you know, so I, I'll ask you, cause you, I, you, uh, earlier, you showed me a big pile of fate books. Are there any things in there, anything in there that has like some random tables that we can happily roll some dice for to, to fuel our creativity? I will have to look for that. Um, fate did have a fate world called literally called weekly world news or no weird world news. <laughs> um, and it is, literally based off of scooby-doo um because you have like on the front cover of it is basically the analogs of all the scooby-doo characters um except instead of a dog there's an eagle um an anthropomorphized eagle and it has (laughs) which is weird because it also has front claws and back legs so i'm not exactly sure what it is but it but the art style is very scooby-doo um, and so, I mean, that's, that's one thing that we could look into, but that's also kind of like, that's literally Scooby-Doo. It's the mystery of the week. And at the end of the mystery, you pull off the rubber mask, which is not what we're aiming for, for this game. Right. So I think, I think being able to set like, you know, so we, we talked more kind of world building type stuff. I think knowing where we're based, is there a town nearby? Are we in New York city or are we in like some small, like, are you in Iowa or something? Yeah. Going Iowa backwards town, Pennsylvania. Like, yeah. You know, how do we get to and from? We're at a rail location because we have to use M-Track to get everywhere. Right. Like <laughs> <laughs> we're with the federal government. So you have to, you know, you can travel anywhere for free, but you have to go by train. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I have a, a friend of mine who loves trains. So, I mean, with those kinds of goofy things, like, or not even goofy, but like, how does the bureaucracy manifest in ways that are both helpful, amusing, and occasionally hampering, right? What's the town like? What, where do we go to for drinks afterwards? Like, you've bagged your cryptid. You've dealt with the situation. Does everybody go down to Harry's for, you know, a beer? Um, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. So if you think about Eureka, right, which is another series that actually we might draw some inspiration from. I mean, yes. that was more super science. But, like, Eureka was a small town. And, you know, it had, you know, the, the coffee place. It had the diner. Those showed up frequently. Occasionally, hilarity ensued. <laughs> yeah, but, but also everybody in Eureka knew about the things that were going on in Eureka. So if there yes. was a, a a experimental robot that suddenly ran amok, people are like, oh, it's another robot run amok. Got I mean, we're going to run screaming because it's trying to kill everybody, but they're not surprised that another robot has run amok. You know, right. Oh, we're stuck in another time loop. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
because everyone everyone there is part of what's been happening uh or or is it or is employed by i can't remember the company name but it's employed by i think it's general dynamics uh or something like that is is the name yes plus it had matt frewer yes it was yes formerly max headroom so I mean I think you know we can probably brainstorm a little bit more, but I think we should, you know coming up with some things like that we want people to riff off of, uh, knowing that our brains are usually run down a little bit at nine o'clock. Like okay, we're going to come up with like the town, three locations in the town, our supervisor, three NPC coworkers, right? Like so we have some fodder as to like what it is we're actually trying to do. And I have to read the fate condensed rules because I should probably be prepared. Yep, that would help. <laughs> <laughs> so there's our to do list. If you all have ideas for things that we should be uh, talking about or incorporating or what have you, uh, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, thank you. Actually, Ken, why don't you take us out? I think I took us out last week. Yeah, so again, uh, any comments, suggestions, feedback, world building stuff you'd like to, to contribute, let us know. You can send it to us at podcast at lairofsecrets.com or via Twitter at lairofsecrets. You can also visit lairofsecrets.com and leave us some feedback, topic ideas. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm repeating myself at this point. Going back to the beginning of the show, it's although it's like we're 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 looped, we're in a time <laughs> loop. I'm repeating myself over and over again. Oh yeah, I'm just going to be doing it over and over. Yes, send us feedback. We want it. We do, and uh, and we will see you next time. <laughs>